I messaged one of my mates at the ECB. I said, you know, what are you up to? Um, I'm going to be in town. Do you want to, do you want to grab a coffee or a beer? And he said, look, you know, I've seen you know, no promises, but we're going through a restructure. We're making some change. Um, if you and Sarah are serious about moving, then, you know, go through the process and, and see what happens. So I interviewed before the holiday. I was lying on a beach in, in Italy when I sort of got the call from ECB HR to say, look, you've, you've got this job. Um, you started four weeks, went home, packed the bags, and, and then my wife and I um, drove it to the UK. So that's how I ended up there. So very much similar to sort of what you guys spruiking around the importance of, of networking and keeping your contacts. G'day guys, coming up on the show today is Jason Russell-Jones. Jason is the head of community legacy projects at Rugby Australia. He has an epic background of experience having worked at the Australian Sports Commission, Cricket New South Wales and has lived over in the UK whilst at the England and Wales Cricket Board. There's lots to look out for in this episode including how to work amongst major events such as the Olympics, moving overseas for work of course and plenty, plenty more. So let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grade Podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I'm Ryan Walker and joining me is the soon-to-be home, Reuben Williams. We are two mates who met at Cricket Australia and each week we learn how people made it in the sports industry. We tease out their career decisions, their work habits, their skills and everything they do that makes them great. Also that you can get in, get promoted and get thriving in the sports industry. Rubes, I can hear the hustle and bustle behind you. How are we? G'day Ryan, I'm doing terrific, thank you. It's been a whirlwind of uh, seven days since I arrived in India. And uh, during that time, we haven't had time to, to chat much either. And um, there's a lot to fill you in on. <laughs> <laughs> because, um, all all I can say sad. is I've seen your mug all over my TV, uh, <laughs> my group chats, my, my Discord feed, my LinkedIn feed. <laughs> We need an explanation. Well, firstly, I was very apologies to Jason because I was very sad to miss this interview with him. But um, the reason why I'm not a part of this interview is because when I was journeying from Turkey to India, I arrived at Dubai Airport ready to check into my next flight to Ahmedabad, and uh, they said to me, "You can't get on this flight because you don't have a visa to India." And that's when I realised, oh my god, I've completely forgotten that I need a visa to enter India <laughs> so <laughs> I then had a lovely sleepless night at the airport and um, had to book another flight and in the process miss a recording with Jason and uh, but thankfully I was very lucky that last year at the T20 World Cup I got paired up with the UAE cricket team so I just called on their captain and said hey can, you, can I come hang out with you for a bit <laughs> and um, the, I got another, um, met up with another bloke who uh, I met in a hostel in 2018. So he let me stay at his house for that night. So I was very lucky that I've got these people in Dubai ready for me to um, fall back on. But then by the time I got to Ahmedabad, the next day I had to wake up and pretty much go straight to the World Cup match between Australia and England where um, I went to the game dressed in full Aussie test kit and I had tried this once before at Lords 
And I'm not there to do anything malicious. I just am a big cricket fan and wanted to wear my, my Australian kit loud and proud. Yeah, massive nuffy. And uh, Lords knocked me back. But India welcomed me with open arms. And I stood yep. for about 600 selfies, I reckon. It was, it was <laughs> ridiculous. And so I, I went there alone and left with like a thousand friends. And at the end of the night, I had um, a bunch of random fans invite me back to their house. So of course I said yes. And next thing I know, I'm in like this very humble abode with this, you know, mum's welcome me in saying, it's a pleasure to have me, me here. Here's some food, please hold my baby. Can I get you anything to drink? Then they say like, would you like some dessert? I'm like, yeah, I'll have some dessert. I'm like, what have you got? She's like, oh, you know, do you want some ice cream? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll have some ice cream. They go out to the shop and buy every type of ice cream because they don't know oh what type of ice cream God. I want. I thought I just thought you had it in the fridge or something, but no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm hanging out at this house. It's like incredible. And then it got to like midnight. Like, all right, it's probably time to go. So I jump on the back of this motorbike and they start driving me towards my hotel. I'm still dressed up in full Australian kit, mind you. And um, we drive past this car park that's filled with about 200 people playing eight games of cricket. And I said to them, let's go give these guys a surprise. Pull over here. Let's go play some cricket. So it's now 12.30 in the morning. These people playing a casual game of cricket in the middle of the night. See this random guy from Australia just rock up on a motorbike fully dressed in Australian kit and say, hey, can I have a go? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So... I um I faced about ten balls. I weren't very good deliveries. Got away for a few, which uh, got my confidence up early, and then uh, took a few photos and and carried on. Went to bed. So that was night one, and I was like, oh my god, this is already a day I'll, I'll never forget. Then then we get to Mumbai, and um, I'm in Mumbai for second World Cup game against Afghanistan. A few meetings with um, universities over here too, and. Um, Again, I rock up in a full Australian kit. I ride the train in full Australian kit. Everyone's like, what the hell is going on here? Why is this guy dressed up like a cricketer? And uh, Mumbai was even worse. Worse in the sense that like, I just got absolutely mobbed to the point where it, like, I got changed. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm out. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> He's tapped out. Spare... It's too much. <laughs> it was too much. Like There was a point where I'm standing up against the rails of like the third tier looking back up the row and there's about 40 people standing in front of me. I'm like, I, I can't get out of here. I literally can't get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I tapped out of that one, got changed and enjoyed it a bit more quiet fashion. But then Maxwell goes on to play the most incredible innings I've ever seen in cricket, let alone probably the best individual sporting effort I've ever seen in my life of, of any sport. And, um, I remember staying up late to watch Ben Stokes beat Australia in the Ashes by, you know, playing that 150-odd ninth wicket. Mm. And uh, that was just like a, a death by a thousand cuts. Well, this was the opposite. It was like this yeah. slow drip of dopamine and then this sudden rush of emotion at the end. And um, I put up a story of my reaction and my girlfriend, Chloe, messaged me saying, like, are you drunk? I'm like, no, I'm sto- stone cold sober. There's no alcohol in the stadium. This was just the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> so, what the um, hell? Yeah. I'll be home soon, but uh, finishing this trip in a flurry, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Insanity from Maxi. Uh, uh, there was someone who commented on one of our posts saying, 
they're demanding a, a Maxwell podcast um, <laughs> at some stage to debrief that. So that might be a little hard to do, but we're happy to reach out to, to Maxie's people. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to say I'm surprised you're getting mugged. Uh, I, I would have thought to test kit on from a bloke who also looks a little bit like Pat Cummins, I hate to say it, but um, <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. Um, and I'm also not surprised he got changed because it might have been a little bit hectic getting selfies for three hours straight. But um, yeah, wow. Uh, it, it, it's looked like you haven't stopped, uh, to be honest. So we need you, uh, we need you back in the safety, safety zone of Brisbane. Uh, and speaking of Brisbane, uh, our meetup's coming up, which is a little bit funny because like, you, you're going from 100 miles per hour and you're just going to jump into Australia and also do 100 miles an hour for three days. So, uh, yeah, super exciting. That's right. We've got Brisbane meetup coming up on the, uh, the 15th of November this week, Sydney on Thursday, 16th, and the big one, Melbourne, 17th on Friday night, and then the following week, Perth, the, uh, the 22nd. So be sometime after the Melbourne meetup that I'll actually get home to my own bed, but um, that's yep. all right. Never, never a dull moment. But um, hopefully everyone's got a ticket by now. It's the last week. If you haven't done that, like surely jump on it now. You're leaving it to the last minute, but um, there's still time to, to grab one if you haven't. We've got some amazing guest speakers coming up. Tom Hickey in Brisbane from the Brisbane Olympics. You know, everybody says, I want to work at Brisbane Olympics. Well, here's the guy that you need to speak to. Uh, Sydney, we got... We got Franny Tay from Football Australia, who is an amazing uh, person. She was on the podcast just the other week in Melbourne. We've got Sarah Burt, who you would have heard from recently as well, and uh, Katie Staniforth as well from Cricket Australia, who um, was also on the podcast in episode 242 or 244, I believe, yep. uh, earlier this year. So some incredible people to come and listen to whilst also mixing with many great other people. But... Aside from that, there's plenty going on in the community. Shout out to um, our regular wins. This week we are shouting out Stella Z, who's got a job as a project officer with the city of Sydney. Well done to you, Stella. Vanessa Chan, team leader of customer experience at the Australian Open. That would be a great role. Mm. And Catherine Jeffcock, consumer business intern at Cricket New South Wales. Well done to you, Catherine. So um, well done to the community and to everyone who's hustling away, working towards their, their dream job. But if you'd like to stay up to date with everything that's going on in the community, including the chance to join the community, because that's coming up very, very soon. And one thing that I forgot to mention is that if you join a meetup, you can become a member on the night. Otherwise, you've got to wait a couple of weeks. But if you don't want to wait and if you don't want to beat, if you don't want to join the rush of people all trying to grab one of 70 spots that were opening up, Mm. Come along to a meetup because you can get exclusive access to join there. So sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter is where you can get everything that's going on. Brilliant. This, uh, this pod's a little bit different. It is a solo pod. Uh, I'm not sure what happened with the mic there, but we've got a few issues. I'll start again. Uh, this is an interesting episode. It's a solo pod, which is a little bit different, but I uh, hope you enjoy. It's uh, just me and Jason. So grab a pen and enjoy this chat with Jason Russell-Jones. Before we jump into the episode, we've got a quick message from our good friends at Deakin University. 
Deacon has been a huge supporter of SportsGrad since day one. If you're currently studying or you've just finished studying, having a postgrad qualification in sports management on your resume can give you a huge leg up over other potential candidates applying for that same role. So if you want to pump up your resume and get specialized knowledge in sports behavior, law, marketing, ethics, finance, governance, and strategy, take a look at Deacon's postgrad qualifications. Their Master of Business in Sports Management is not one of, but the best one in Australia, ranked at number one. So add a postgrad to your resume, and that's our tip for the episode. Jason, welcome to the SportsGrad podcast, mate. Ryan, great to be here. I know we've um, we've lost a founding member, but uh, hopefully we can make up for it today. We have lost a founding member. It's uh, it's a rare occasion where it's a one-on-one pod, but uh, by all accounts, he's uh, he's got his visa and he's uh, he's somewhere in the sky. Uh, but I think we'll be just okay, just us. I reckon we can have a good a good chat nonetheless. Yeah, doing a little bit of research, I thought I might be the first guy from rugby on the pod or girl, but I. Th- I think it turns out you had a, a Ryan on from Rugby Victoria back in the – or maybe not a Ryan. We had someone on in the early days back in uh, maybe first couple of months. We have we have touched on rugby, but I, I think no one from Rugby Australia. Uh, so I think someone of your calibre it, – It's a. am shocked actually that it's taken 260-odd episodes to get here. Uh, but I'm more than happy to touch on Rugby Australia in what is a very timely – episode as well with plenty of rugby news mm-hmm. um but i won't go there yet but i might throughout the episode but um mate doing uh doing some research on you during the week um you you've got an outstanding resume like some of the organizations that you've worked at like Crete new south wales ecb australian sport commission now rugby australia what has been the number one out of those? Well, it's a really tough position to put me in. Uh, number one, especially <laughs> working at Rugby Australia at the moment. But oh, look, I've only been here. I've only been here sort of nine months, nine ten months at Rugby Australia. So I think, given you know, at heart, huge, huge cricket badger way down that I, that I keep hidden down. Um, I'd have to say working working at the ECB during um, you know during Ashes series, Cricket World Cups in 2019, I think is is pretty amazing. And, and sort of your first day working through the gates at Lords is, or walking through the gates at Lords, sorry, is a pretty hard thing to to go past. So um, you know, no disrespect to any other employees, current current or former, um, but but I think yeah, and living in London for sort of five or so years holds a really you know really fond place in my heart as well. Yeah, un- unfortunately, I think anybody who walks through the gates of Lords, it's it's shooting up the list straight away. So I, I totally understand. Um, mate, I know you'd be a massive listener of the podcast. You you know how this rolls, but uh, we start every episode with some quick fire questions mm-hmm. uh, for our audiences to get to know you a little bit better. Um, and nothing too hard hitting. So I'll uh, I'll start. Well, you just spoke about your resume, but what was your first ever job? First ever job, uh, tried and tested first job was a paper round. So I think I started when I was about 14, uh, delivering the local newspaper Wednesdays and Fridays. So um, yeah, it was certainly not the most glamorous. And I think it probably paid, I think it was about 10 bucks a week <laughs> and it probably took me three hours to do. So the hourly rate was pretty poor, but it was it was cash at a time when I had none. So I'll take it. Nice, mate. And uh, what'd you do at uni? Uni? Um Bachelor of Sports Science at Sydney Uni, and then went back for uh, for more pain, I guess. I uh, did a Master's of Exercise Science in Strength and Conditioning over in over in Perth. So, um, yeah, did did the Master's. Wasn't exactly sure 
necessarily what I wanted to do at the, at the end of an undergrad. Um, so I thought I'd stick it out and, and do a sort of another year and a half, build up that hex debt and, uh, and see what else I could get up to. So yeah, they were the, they were the two I did. And, uh, and get a bit of time over in, uh, in God's country, which is Perth as well, which is always good. Yeah, so it was mainly um, mainly via correspondence, but we did sort of condensed placement. Um, so I think we had three weeks with a with a few mates that I was doing uni with, um, house in Perth at the start of December, so start of summer. So twenty um, year olds living a living a bachelor <laughs> life over there. We we did a fair bit of study. We we uh, trained pretty hard, but we also had a pretty good time. So um, yeah, fond memories definitely. No, I love I love that and love uh, Perth in December, mate. I'm about to go there, so it's going to be great fun. Um, favorite sporting moment of all time? Yeah, tough one. I've been privileged to get to a few. Um, I know Rubes talks about Buddy's thousands, and I'm a, I'm a big Swans fan, so that's up there. But um, I won't show my age. But 2005 um, semi final, Sydney versus Geelong at the SCG, and, oh. and Nick Davis kicked four four goals in the last quarter. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely, and obviously went on to win the grand final a few weeks later. Um, first one in you know, many a decade. So, yeah, that that's the highlight. Looking back on it, um, yeah, incredible, incredible day there um, with a few mates in the crowd. I think we we're right behind the goals for that yeah. for that little that quarter. So, um, yeah, I can't can't go past that. Yeah, that is amazing. I still think that was a push in the back in the grand final, though. By the way, Ashley <laughs> Sampy, but we won't get into that. <laughs> um, you got to square up the next year yeah exactly exactly it's all good um what's your favorite interview question that you like to ask of candidates going for jobs yeah this this might be cheating because i haven't actually used it before but uh, i heard one from simon Sinek the other day uh, which i really liked and, and sort of looking forward to using at some stage um and his question was sort of the way he frames it is look i don't really like surprises i hate surprises so can you tell me now what might go wrong in the future so that it doesn't, yeah. You know, so it doesn't surprise me then. So you're sort of asking the the candidate in advance to show a bit of self awareness. So that could be, um, you know, what their weaknesses are, or it could be some research that they've done on the job. So, um, you know, they've sort of worked out what's in front of them. It might be a major event and things things that might have gone wrong mm. for them in the past at major events, or or as I said, it could be self awareness. And you're sort of avoiding that. Um, that trap of asking them about weaknesses where they can sort of just trot out a, a pre-prepared paragraph that they've been yeah. when rating to roll out. Um, so yeah, it's probably one I'm looking forward to using. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Um, I trust you're a book or a podcast kind of guy, but uh, any that have sort of helped you at work that you'd recommend? Yeah, I don't know if um, it's helped me at work, but I know you've had them both on the pod, but uh TGC, the great cricketer guys for a pod yeah. is always. I think it helps my work because I because I chill out listening to those guys. Um, so, oh look, that that's probably a regular pod. But the one I would say has really helped me at work is um, the Knowledge Project. So, it's not necessarily sports based, but it's sort of business based, industry based. You get CEOs on there, like philosophers, a bit of everything. Um, yeah. And they share loads of different loads of different things. Um, you know, so some weeks it might not be a particular interest and I'll sort of tune out, but other weeks I'll get a fair bit out of it. Um, and that tries to, well, I use that to try and get it broaden my knowledge outside of sort of the sports specific stuff. Um, yeah, I'd say that's that's probably the regular at the moment. Nice. Um, and are you associated with any grassroots clubs at all? Yes. Uh, for my for my sins, I'm still on the committee at uh, the mighty North Shore Bombers Aussie Rules Club in Sydney. So yeah. um, I've been there since I was sort of, sort of 15 now um i've been on the committee on and off since i was since i was about 20 so 
35 now, so it's that 15 years on and off on the committee. Um, I've hung up the boots a long time ago, but uh, can't quite leave yet. And uh, and finally, if you had 30 minutes to pick anyone's brain, who would it be? Yeah, really tough question. I was having a think about this. Um, I'm a I'm an NBA fan uh, at heart, and that might be due to my complete lack of basketballing ability um, that I've always <laughs> sort of uh, looked up to those guys and, and sort of amazed at the product they put out there. So I think um, mm. NBA, NBA commissioner... Adam Silver, it'd be it'd be awesome. They're always trying new things. Um, not uh, not too concerned about failing. They're always trying new partnerships, trying to highlight, I guess the you know, sort of the heroes that are out there and, and really spotlight those guys. I think I saw a sponsorship they launched this week with um, or a partnership with Kim Kardashian's new yeah. <laughs> new brand. I thought like not necessarily probably something that people would associate with the NBA, but I, I guess just uh, just shows what they're always trying to do and, and try something new. So. I'd be really intrigued to to pick his pick his brain for a little while. Awesome, yeah, he he'd be an absolute ripper. They're very progressive, the NBA. So I think mm. any discussion with them would be uh, would be outstanding. So um, awesome, mate. Well, that ends our quick questions. Uh, brilliant, we we love that. Um, but let's get into the main bodies. I think there's there's so much to talk about with your your career. So I think start us off. Can you tell us a little bit about your your current role? What do you do? What are you responsible for? Uh, and what are some of the best parts of it? Yeah, so it's a bit of a mouthful, the title. Uh, Head of Rugby World Cup Community Legacy Projects. Um, that going along with a long name makes for, makes for a pretty long email signature. Uh, but really what, what that's about is that uh, for those that don't know, uh, Australia's hosting the Rugby World Cup for men in 2027 and for women in 2029. Um, and as part of that, we're trying to sort of maximise the opportunity that it presents by those two events um, to sort of create a really strong, thriving rugby community. So um, looking at all those projects in the community, all the strategic projects that we're looking to deliver in the lead up to that event, uh, all those events, throughout those events, and and then post. Um, and we're sort of looking to expand that a little bit wider. You've probably heard um, some other guests on the pod talk about sort of Australia's golden decade, if you like, of, of sporting events in the country um, with what was supposed to be the, the Com Games, um, a couple of Rugby World Cups, uh, and then, then obviously culminating in Brisbane 2032. Um, rugby's also got the British and Irish Lions Tour in, in 2025, which is, um, you know, 40,000 screaming British and Irish fans um, coming out to, to watch the rugby. So um, for us, it's it's massive with, with the Com Games and the Olympics and our really strong seven sides in there. Um, this sort of rugby is going to be highlighted just about every year for the next 10 years. So it's leveraging those World Cups and, and everything else to have a lasting impact on on the rugby psyche, I guess, and rugby participation, rugby fandom. So, um, yeah, that's that's sort of a, a, a short summary of what I'm trying to do. Um, and we've got a sort of a big team, big team behind that in that community space. But then sort of outside of the community stuff, we're looking at, you know, the leadership and, and unifying the game. Um, we're looking at the pathways and the performance side of things, obviously, which which has probably been highlighted the last month or so. Um, looking at the you know the social impacts and the sustainability of holding mega events, um, and, and I think one of the really exciting things and sort of unique to rugby as well is that um, you know sort of the Pacific support to it. So um, you know Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, huge huge rugby playing nations. I think um, rugby is to them what Aussie rules is to to you Melburnians. Um, you know, it is, it is sort of heart and soul and, and as part of us being awarded the World Cups, um, sort of a commitment to, to world rugby and to, and to the Australian government that will really do a lot of, lot of work in that Pacific space as well. 
Um, so, yeah, really, really exciting times. For those tuning in, when is the, the Rugby World Cup here in Australia? So men's is 2027. Um, so it'll be basically this time in, in four years. Uh, and then the women's is in 2029. Fantastic. Gee, it's like it, it's, it feels far away, but it's not going to be, right? Like I, I look back, I'm like, how's it nearly 2024? It feels mm. like we're still stuck in 2020. So I can imagine it would be... You know, it seems a fairly fair while away, but it won't be. Um, how how does that like like your your job is is really to to look ahead like really far to see what impact you can have? Like, what's that like from different roles that you've had before? This is very much like forward forward looking and planning ahead. How, how do you go with that? Yeah, it's uh, it's different. I, I think if you looked at my CV, I've probably never held a role, a specific role for sort of four years. I've, I've moved around inside organisations and across organisations, which I've, which I've really enjoyed. But as you say, I've never had that sort of that leading. Um, so I, I think if anything, it just sort of highlights the importance of, the importance of future planning and, and making sure you're achieving something every year. Um, so it's not just everything is set to, to kick off when the World Cup starts in four years' time. We've got, you know, projects along the way, whether that's club development projects, infrastructure, um, you know, women's and girls' leadership programs, et cetera, that are all just all part of it. And and 2027 just sort of, you know, lights a fire underneath it or puts that spotlight on it. So um, these things aren't happening sort of only because of 27, but they're also not happening in, in isolation of it, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, awesome. Um, as I mentioned at the top, like you've, You've worked at some of you know the, this country, but also overseas some of the best organisations out there. Um, can you tell us sort of how you how you've ended up at Rugby Australia? A little bit more detail as to what I said at the start. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess um, it's been a pretty long, or well, not long journey in sport. I'm 35. Hopefully, that's not that that's not too old. Um, <laughs> but I sort of started out yeah while I was at while I was at the footy club. Uh, my, my under-18s coach at the time got me doing a little bit of coaching for his business, so just like sports coaching, gross motor skills. Um, and then while I was at uni, he sort of offered me a full-time job um, doing, you know, sort of managing part of his business, um, running those clinics. And we got to do some work with the AFL, uh, or AFL, AFL New South Wales as it was at the time, and, and a little bit of work with cricket. Um, I worked with him for a few years till I was in my, in my early 20s, and then I, I you know, saved up a bit of cash and disappeared to Europe with my, with my now wife uh, for a fair part of the year um, in, in 2012 and then came back, was sort of scrounging around for some some jobs, looking for a bit of work. Um, and it was summer and I was somehow, somehow got a job selling, or not selling, but uh, some sort of promotional activation at the SCG for, for the Sydney test. And it was the time when watermelon hats were all the rage. So I don't know who the, who the partner was, commercial partner was, but I was there giving out watermelon hats. Yeah, so really high-end job. Um, yeah. But while I was doing that, I ran into ran into a guy I I used to do some work for at, at the AFL. So um, you know, we used to run some some programs with him, and he you know, was asking what I was up to and and sort of explained, well, mate, this is it. This is this is as good as it's getting at the moment. And he said, oh, you know, we've got some jobs coming up we're, when we're getting a bit bigger. Um, you know, I'll give you a buzz when they come up, and sort of came up and went through the interview process, and and that's when I started in in 2013 at Cricket Cricket New South Wales, and so just sort of a development manager role. Um, progressed through to a role at Cricket Australia, but still based in the Cricket New South Wales offices. So when the now Cricket Blast, but then T20 Blast came in, it was part of the sort of rollout of that in, in New South Wales. Um, and then was lucky enough to, to get a participation manager role at Cricket New South Wales. So overseeing that, that Cricket Blast team and our schools team, 
Um, I'm working really closely with the guys down at CA as well. Um, so probably some names that are maybe just before your time, 2015, 2016, yeah. or maybe right, right on the cusp of your time. Um, and it was a bit of an, ex, bit of an exodus of, of a couple of them to, to the UK. And, and uh, my wife just happened to be going over there um, for, for work. So you know, she, she was based at a European company. So we went over for a bit of a European holiday and my sister was living in London. So I messaged one of my, um, one of my mates that was at the ECB. I said, you know, what are you up to? Um, I'm going to be in town. Do you, want to, do you want to grab a coffee or a beer? And he said, oh, yeah, absolutely. What brings you in town? Is it, is it business or pleasure? Um, I said, look, mate, it's, um, it's pleasure unless you've got business for me. <laughs> and he said, look, you know, obviously no, no promises, but we're going through a restructure. We're making some change. Um, if you and Sarah are serious about moving, then, you know, go through the process and, and see what happens. So um, all in sort of the lead up, this is all in the lead up to the holiday. Um, I interviewed before the holiday. I was lying on a beach in, in Italy when I sort of got the call from ECB, HR to say, look, you've, you've got this job. Um, you start in four weeks. Wow. Uh, we weren't going home for, weren't going home for two. Um, so sort of got that extended to six, went home, packed the bags, and, and then my wife and I um, moved, over to, moved over to the UK. So um, that's how I ended up there. So very much uh, similar to sort of what you guys spruiking around the importance of, of networking and keeping your contacts um, and then work through a few roles at, at the ECB as we were sort of launching our national programs. Um, so the equivalent of, yeah, Cricket Blast, Auskick, NetSec Go. Um, we launched All Stars Cricket in, in 2016, uh, back in the well, start of 2017. Um, then sort of progressed through roles there, um, you know, senior manager of those programs. And then at the start of 2020, uh, right before COVID kicked off, um, you know, I got the promotion to, to head of national program. So looking after that that department and then had sort of a couple of um, COVID interrupted years, like we um, might say, um, through to the back end of 2021. Uh, and then had a had a young kid while I was over there, um, which was great, but hadn't met any of, you know, he hadn't met any of our family. We hadn't been able to introduce him to anyone back in Australia. Um, sort of visas were expiring. Uh, and I spoke to spoke to my boss. Uh, I should give him a call out on here because I think Rubes has already done it. Uh, but but Nick Pride, who was the director of participation and growth, um, former former CA um, staff member, I said, look, you know, we're considering going home. We're not really sure yet, but but we've got to find out. And, and he was brilliant. Actually, he gave he said, look, you know, take as long as you need. Go back to Australia. Um, HR were brilliant as well. Said, look, have have three to six months. But if you could make your mind up earlier, that'd be great. Um, and then, then we'll back, when we're back in Australia, we sort of realised, you know, this family business is is pretty important to us. Um, you know, we love our young kid to, to grow up around his family. So we made the decision to, to pull the trigger and move home. Um, did a, you know, did a bit of interviewing for the Sports Commission, took a role as a, a senior participation manager or senior participation advisor there, sort of advising um, lots of sports on their participation strategies, um, our investment into them from the Sports Commission. Uh, and then... Yeah, uh, sort of 12 months there and, and this really exciting role came up at rugby, which was pretty hard to pass up. Um, so that's probably the short of it. There's probably a few hours of stories on each level in between, but <laughs> yeah, that's that's how we're here. Nice. Um, I'm keen to go back to, to sort of when you, <clears throat> excuse me, made that sort of decision to, to move over. And I guess like, you know, we get a lot of people come to us and ask sort of like, oh, you know, what's it like? How do I get a gig overseas like just what does that whole process look like but I think overall it's just making that decision to to stick with it and and go 
I'm keen to understand sort of what were the thoughts going through your head at the time around, you know, should I do this? Should I not? Um, you know, how did you get that confidence, I guess, just to make that call and be like, yep, this is me. That's a tough question because I actually don't really know. It was a really quick turnaround, sort of, you know, going over there for a holiday and then someone asking, would you consider moving? And we hadn't really thought about it before. We kind of, um, maybe it was easier because because uh, I had a sort of long-term partner and we were sort of both in it together. We're just like, well, if, you know, if worst case, if it all goes belly up, then we, we've got each other. Um, so we sort of made that, you know, really quick turnaround. My sister was already over there. Um, my wife had a few, uh, her brothers lived overseas. So it's kind of everyone had, Everyone had made those uh, made those journeys before, and and I think we knew some people over there as well. We knew quite a few people over there. So, um, yeah, I think Chris Dobson was on here a, a month or so ago, and he was saying, you know, you've got there's really similar culture. You know, a lot of people over there, so it's not that it's not really that that much of a stretch to see yourself moving over there, and and you know, visas and all of those things are actually really easy to get to get to the UK as long as you're sort of under a certain age. So. Um, all of the excuses were really off the table. Uh, had you know, had a job, getting a visa was easy. Had a partner and, and had a place to stay. So, um, you know, once you realise you don't have any excuses, it's pretty hard to say no. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Uh, it, it definitely, like, it certainly opened our eyes. Like talking to Dobbo and and a few other guys that have gone over there. Like, it sounds like out of all places to go and all places to to go and work overseas, it, it sounds like the UK is a, is a pretty, pretty simple one to do. So, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of what we say to, um, people when they come to us is like, well, we know a lot about the UK. Cause a lot, a lot of people have done that. Um, but yeah, there's lots of examples there of people doing it. Yep. And I could like, couldn't recommend it enough. I think everyone would have contacts from contacts from who they've worked with that, that would have, you know, people working in various organizations over there and, and sort of getting that foot in the door, obviously, easy for me to say because I had a job before I moved over there but I also feel like with you know the ability to connect with people culture is the same coffee's getting a hell of a lot better in the UK than what it was <laughs> um so you know catching up with someone over a coffee or a beer and and sort of making that you know, you know putting in that groundwork is it's relatively easy as far as um you know as far as it could be in moving to other places no I have heard the uh coffee in Europe is horrendous Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was certainly different to here in here in Melbourne, uh, coffee capital. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, uh, Ruse has been saying like it's it's horrendous, but it also costs like double what it would here. So you're paying about ten bucks for a for a morning coffee, which is not quite sustainable. I wouldn't have thought, but um, yeah, surely someone's going to make some good coffee sometime soon over there. So there's yeah, there's there's a couple of things I think. London's got so much better. 2016, when I went there, it was, um, you know, you're really hunting down places. I still remember my first cup of coffee. Um, you know, barely slept in the 24-hour flight. I was meeting my boss and and he's Australian, lived in Melbourne, should have known better, but we went to this little cafe on St. Johnswood High Street near Lords, uh, Carluccio's, and had one of the worst coffees of my life. Um, you know, last thing I needed at that stage, but uh, after living there for a few years, maybe I got accustomed to the taste, but... Um, they're definitely, definitely moving in the right direction, coffee-wise. Uh, over in Europe, yeah, a little bit, little bit different. You either pay a lot for a really nice coffee, or, or you just get used to basically you just drink espressos everywhere. And espressos you can get, there's no cost there. They're they're a euro or a euro fifty for an espresso, and you just go, that's that's, that's me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, 
coming back to sort of the the legacy side of things and, mm. and your your gig now, um, do you have the next sort of five six years mapped out? Like, do you know exactly what's coming up at each year, or is it a little bit more ad hoc than that? Yeah, I'd say we've got. Um, probably 80% of it mapped out from a community um, perspective. So as part of the, the bid to to get the to win the World Cup um, and as part of the sort of agreement with the Australian government that we've got is that we had to map out all of our priorities uh, between now and, and 2029 for the Women's World Cup. So we have um, sort of the three pillars of our strategy. We've got the, I guess, the projects that sit underneath them and we've got a sort of rough phasing of all of those. We'll... We'll tweak that. We'll we might put more of an emphasis on one thing or another, depending on how it's received and, and how it's going, or whether we can sort of secure more funding or anything like that. Um, but by and large, what we're trying to do is is um, is really clear and, and it really aligns with our organisational strategy for the whole of rugby, not just for not just for the Rugby World Cup. So um, yeah, it's taken a fair bit of foresight and, and a lot of planning uh, and a lot of consultation with. Yeah, all of our member unions and, and clubs and associations across the country, uh, but we're we're in a pretty pretty good position to to roll that out over the next whatever it is now, sort of six years till the end of end of twenty twenty nine. Um, this might be a, a bit of an out there question, and I know, or maybe a little hard hitting, but I think like when I look at um what the media says about rugby Australia and mm. like the the state of the game and all that kind of stuff. And I think we both know as, as well as many, like the media can hype things up and they can say things are much worse than they actually are. Um, I think that's the case here. Like it feels like the media is just absolutely going at rugby, but also like just overstating things and, and it, making it seem much worse than it actually is. Is there anything you can say to sort of like say, I guess, where the game's at and, and sort of just to kill some of that negativity around the game at the moment? Yeah, look, it's, um, as you said, you know, you worked at Cricket Australia during some difficult times, you know, similar for me at English cricket and, and now now rugby. Um, the media's job is to is to sell stories. The media's job is to, you know, you know sell sell advertising on those stories, get clicks, and and the reality is that bad news is, is much more attractive than good news. Um, and at a time when... You know, Wallabies didn't perform well, and, and certainly can't can't hide that hide from that. Um, it's easy to go it's easy to go after rugby, but um, yeah, some of the stuff that's been said around participation, you know, numbers declining, all of those things is actually just just not true. So um, again, despite what's reported, um, sort of numbers in all of our metrics have been going up every year for the last four years. So sort of growth in growth in every category, whether that's um, you know, junior participants, senior participants, uh, women and girls has been growing at a, at a great rate. It's been sort of our fastest growth section. Um, our, our junior programs has been really strong. And then we've also got, um, I guess, the one of the strings in our bow, similar to cricket, having multiple formats. We've got sort of the 15-a-side game and then we've got the sevens game, which, um, you know, for those people that have sort of got around sevens, it's a bit of a more of a party atmosphere in um in terms of the professional game, uh, and that's been really helping us grow sevens from the from the grassroots level as well. So, all of those numbers are, are looking looking, you know, on the on the up. Same with our sort of refs and, and coaches numbers. Are we at the same level as say soccer in this country or cricket in this country? Definitely not. Um, has there been you know mistakes made in the past and and things that need to improve? Absolutely, um, and definitely not shying away from that. But um, you know, it it isn't. 
uh, this sounds like just denying uh, denial, but it, it isn't actually declining. Um, you know, the last, as I said, the last four years, sort of all of our metrics are going in the right direction, and and we certainly, um, you know, pushing pretty hard to to make sure they keep keep growing, and and sort of this next ten years gives us a really good opportunity to do that. No, it's good. I, I think I I grew up in in Perth where rugby union is is huge like at mm. school it was one of the most popular sports i think i've kind of grown up with rugby as one of the key key players and i still you know in in my my head i still kind of see it that way so i think when i you know when you do see the negativity around it you you want to sort of dig deeper and think like is this actually the case or is this just the case of everyone's a bit flat because the wallabies didn't make the finals of the world cup you know so it's good to hear that like you know, you know the numbers and the actual truth of, of what's actually happening out there, which is which is good. Um, I want to touch on some of the, sort of the intricate details of your job and can understand sort of what are the, what are some essential skills and experiences that I guess you need to be able to do your your job really well. I think the first one, um, and it's probably been across every every job and most jobs in sport, is that stakeholder management and, and sort of ability to build relationships. Um, you know, most people that are working at NSOs are working in sort of that federated structure where you've got the governing body, you've got the state body, and then you've got sort of everyone that's playing and participating, you know, whether that's, you know, hundreds or thousands of clubs across the country. So, um, you know, just the structure almost internally alone is is really um, complex to navigate and then you know when you throw in partners government world rugby um, you know sort of everything that goes along with it the ability to influence and build relationships in those areas is is so important um, luckily English cricket gave me a good head start on that there was you know here we've got the 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 eight states and territories in the, in the UK we had 39 county cricket boards so um, it's actually quite nice coming back to to just eight after after the 39 over there uh the the other one in in this role i think is is sort of turning that strategy into into operations so sort of operationalizing a strategy as i said we've got that um you know we've got that strategy for the next six years to the end of the women's world cup we've got it all mapped out now it's about sort of you know getting the rubber on the road and um and making all of that come to life and um i guess it, it goes back to that point before about stakeholder management often at the at the NSO, you know, the governing body, you're not necessarily the ones that are rolling all of these things out. Um, you know, you're working with the clubs, you're working with local community, working with the state or territory bodies. So, um, you know, rolling that out is is relying on them and working really closely with them to do a lot of that, to do a lot of that work. Um, and then I think the third one, um, particularly for me at this point, is, is around that project management piece. So, um, We've got sort of these eight key projects that we want to deliver between now and 2029. Um, at any any one of those things, I might be either project managing those, project sponsoring those, or or delivering those. So, um, you know, to be able to keep tabs on all of those, prioritize those that need to be prioritized at the right time, and, and make sure I don't miss anything. Um, you know, really being across the project management side of things is is very important. I, I feel like whenever we speak to sort of you know, people in NSOs or SSOs as well, like the the concept of, oh, you know, the structure of, you know, how the sport is run. You know, you've got um, each sporting or each state organisation, you've got the one at the top and it's it's always a challenge. And I think like for people who haven't worked in those settings, it's, it's just kind of like noise. Like they're not really sure, like what does that actually mean? Like why is that such a challenge? So I'm, 
can understand from your perspective, like why is it hard to work between all these different organizations and, and why isn't it just as simple as, you know, let's all get on the same page because the outsiders, I'm not sure quite understand why it is so hard. Uh, you might put me in an awkward spot answering this one. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, look, working, um, I guess the, the thing is you've got, you know, Australian rugby or Australian cricket. Um, I think the AFL has actually moved to a centralised model now, which is probably making life a lot easier for them. Um, so kudos to them. Um, but you've got every every state or territory has their own, well, probably their own strategy as well as as well as the national strategy. They've got their own idea of works. So they've got their own influences. You know, clubs coming directly to them. They've got their own boards, CEOs, chairs that all have their own opinions that feed in. And and whilst you want everyone flowing, you know, working on the same page, following off the same strategy. Um, the reality is that those influences are going to impact on what they're trying to do. Um, and um, you also don't want to lose that that creativity or the uniqueness of the individual state because they've got they know their area better than anyone else. So you know the the demographics in in Queensland vary from from top to bottom, let alone between Queensland and New South Wales or Queensland and Victoria or you know or any of the other states and territories. So. Um, you've got that sort of complex bit where everyone is in a way sometimes voting for themselves um, and, and their own success, but you also don't want to lose that by, by losing the things that make them really strong and, and make those areas unique. So um, I think one of the, you know, one of the areas where you make it successful and you make it work is if you have really clear strategies, goals and, and sort of KPIs for, for the States and often that's sort of funding related, um, it does help everyone pull in the right direction. Um, and then they can sort of flex you know, flex where they need to around sort of their own priorities or their own demographics, um, but they can still deliver on on what you're trying to. I think where it gets probably more complex than, say, rugby, which is is primarily top-down funded, um, is some of the sports where it's bottom-up funded. So essentially they're funded from the, you know, like a um, maybe listeners might, might call me out if I've got this wrong, but some of the other sports like football and netball, they're, they're pretty heavily grassroots funded. Um, so that's money coming from registrants feeding up to the sort of association, then to the state, then to the national body. Um, whereas, say, rugby, cricket, AFL, they're all very top-down funded. So a lot of the money that comes from TV rights then filters down to all the other organisations. So um, yeah, that probably does help help us, um, which you know might hinder some of the other organisations. Yeah, nice. No, it's, it's good sort of hearing it from your perspective because... Yeah, I mean, like my experience was at CA, then working with each of the states, and I, I totally get what you mean by like each state is different. They've got their own identity. They all want to do things in different ways, um, and I guess the the best way it would work is when there was a clear strategy from the top, and you can kind of just clearly communicate it. I always remember this, you know, the start of the new season, which would usually be around you know, April, start planning for the new year. It's like, we'd always get questions from states saying like, what's the strategy? Like, what is it? And it's like, it's, if you could say what it was and, you know, they understood it, then everything worked well. Mm. If you if you didn't really know what you're talking about, it didn't work so well. So it's, um, That's right. yeah, it's it's good. It's good hearing that and it's good context for, for those listening as well. Um. Kane, to touch on uh, who who's helped you along the way, because you've had a, an awesome journey, um, and you've obviously um, built a really strong network. You mentioned um, your contacts at the ECB who sort of got you into that gig and, and sort of helped you along the way. But is there anybody in particular who sort of helped you over your career, and 
and what what some of the impact they had and, and some of the advice that they gave as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, all, all the managers I've had, and this is me just sucking up a little bit, every manager I've had has been has been great um, and sort of a couple of them I've had I've had multiple times. Um, I've been really lucky with, um, you know, with, with everyone in that perspective. They've been really supportive and, and sort of when I've sought challenges, they've they've provided those for me to help me grow. Um, so, you know, I, I said Nick, Nick Pride from the ACB is sort of, you know, Helped me get over there, and then and then was my my manager or director for a lot of the time I was in the UK, um, and sort of his approach to, um, I guess to to strategy, but also to the networking side of things. So to managing up was something that really, um, it's really influenced me. I've had a couple of other people, which uh, some people that I've worked with over the years might laugh at, um, but. I'll stick with it anyway. So at English Cricket, there's a guy, Samuel Carter, um, who was our sort of head of business performance, more of a strategy background, worked for sort of consulting firms. Um, but uh, and, and the first time I met him, I, I did not did not understand him at all, like sort of his approach to, to thinking um, and his approach to challenging me. But the more I worked with him, uh, the more he realised what he was trying to get at. And that was just be really clear on your thinking and really clear on what on the problem you're actually trying to solve. So you know, he just asked me over and over again the same question until I was really clear on, on what I wanted out of the outcome. Um, so, you know, he's he's certainly he's certainly won uh, and we'll do it in quite a dry and harsh way, which, you know, uh, early on I, I, it hurt. Uh, and then after a while you just realise that's that's him. Um, he's also offering coaching spots for anyone who's, or well, he certainly was, anyone on LinkedIn who's looking for one. So so reach out to Samuel if, if you need it. Uh, and, and another one which... Um, you know, never managed me. Um, never really worked in the same department. Was it was it cricket New South Wales? Um, a guy that was just always there for a chat. Um, that some people might infamously know him, um, Darren Goodja, who's um, sort of more in the umpires space. But he, he had this office, corner office, um, and it was just on the way out of cricket New South Wales offices to sort of like to the gym, to the nets, to the to the um, cafe, and and um, it just sort of you know give you a heads up and, and sort of pull you in for a chat. Sometimes you'd be in there and you'd have a chat for a minute um, and you'd just be chatting about, you know, nonsense. Uh, other times you'd be in there for an hour and a half and you're sort of talking about life and you're talking about career. And, um, you know, he was someone that early on when I had presentations um, you know, for roles or, or uh, bigger opportunities, I'd just share it with him and, and he'd help me really, um, you know, provide that clarity on, on what I was trying to achieve. Um so that's definitely those two, and and probably been lucky with some with some good friends outside of work as well, who who've been you know high achievers in areas that are not sport, you know whether that's sort of like construction or finance or whatever it is. Um, you can just sort of run different problems by them because they look at it from a different perspective. Um, so yeah, I've probably been really lucky. I think most people have most people have helped me, and I feel like I've um, you know shortchanged a few of them, but not calling them out by name. Um, Mick Brasala there's another one. He's my current manager. So just in case he listens, I better mention you, yeah. Mick. Yeah, Mick's a legend. We, uh, yeah, Eels, you know him Eels from Cricket fan. Australia. Yep, big, big Eels fan. fan. Yeah, yeah. long suffering. Yeah, no, nah, he was um, he was a riffer at cricket. Enjoyed uh, enjoyed work with Big. So um, yep. we'll have to get him on the pod. I reckon you know who he he never and I'll, I'm going to call him out because <laughs> like, like want him to come to a, a sports club meetup in Sydney just. It's like he's allergic to it. So, uh, Mick, if you if you're listening, which I hope you are, 
Uh, get your skates on, mate. Come he might, he might listen if he hears he's been called out on it. Yeah, uh, look, he's, yeah. no, he's a busy man, busy man with he rugby and, and two kids, <laughs> two kids. But I'm sure we've got one in, I don't know when this goes to air, but um, a couple of weeks on a Thursday. So I'll see if we can drag him down from Moore Park um, down George Street. So we'll see how we go. No, that's good. That's good. Get him down. We need him at one. Um, what, uh, I mean, I know I was going to say what's next. I know there's obviously a, a pretty big runway and, and what you're doing now in terms of what's come rugby wise, but where do you sort of see yourself ending up in the future? Um, do you have any, have any plans or, um, what, what are you sort of thinking longer term? Yeah, I think I, you know, as you mentioned my CV before, I've, I've sort of moved around a, a little bit, like stayed in the same organization for sort of four years, six years, but moved different roles. So, um, the idea that I'll still be doing this role in, in four years' time or six years' time is a little bit foreign to me. But at the same time, I want to um, you know, really make the most of the runway presented to, to those two World Cups. And, and then just, I guess, the challenge is on me to make sure I'm still being um, still being challenged, still developed in this role and um, sort of seek those future opportunities. Um, I think, you know, continuing to work up through through the levels of through levels of management, through the levels of sort of opportunity to present themselves is, is something I'm quite keen to do. Um, I guess maybe a glint in the eye is sort of 2032. Uh, it's probably everyone that's working in sports has said that, but uh, yeah, I don't know when the next Olympics will come to Australia if, if we're still going to be here. So, um, you know, something in that space is, is um, something I'm sort of, you know, maybe just looking at the corner of my eye. Um, it's also this like really unique period where, France, Australia, and the US have like all have rugby world cups and all have Olympics. So I just feel like there's something there yeah. where there's got to be a way of sort of just um, you know pivoting, yeah, pivoting across <laughs> the two for a little while. Um, look, I think I think in the long run, and this is you know, very long down the track. So mum, dad, if you're listening, um, not intending to move overseas again with my with my family just yet, but I think um, you know, my wife and I really enjoyed our time in London. So whether that's 10, 20, 30 years down the track, I could definitely see myself, um, you know, working overseas for, for a period again, um, sort of involving ourselves in sport and um, you know, looking at, you know, the opportunities that present themselves, particularly in the US. I just think it's a really different market and, and really exciting market over there. Um, and sort of another thing I'd like to get to is working on the other side of it. So working more in, I guess, the consultancy space at some stage, um, you know, been in NSOs, SSOs, and, and been at the been at the government, um, but I'd like to work on the other side and sort of show that experience and, and be able to sort of help people out from, um, I guess from a from a different perspective. So probably nothing really clear there in terms of you know titles or, or organisations, but um, sort of a general direction anyway. Yeah, I think you're not wrong. I think most people have uh, have twenty thirty two in the corner of their eye. So um, and you're right, like when will we get another Olympics? Like it won't be in our lifetime. You wouldn't have thought. So uh, I think it's, it's fair enough that it is in everyone's, uh, everyone's eyes. Um, finally, mate, this has been really good. Um, what's some advice you'd give to your younger self? If you were to do it all again, um, what would you say? Yeah. Uh, first one would be take more pictures. And, and that's just come around purely from you guys asking for a couple of pictures for the pod. And I realize I don't, uh, don't have many of me that are appropriate uh, in sort of the work environment. There's a lot of me having a, having a good time at work or uh, a lot of action shots. But um, yeah, so I think that one, uh, and it probably goes back to a podcast you had with Adrian Tobin, I think a few, a few weeks or months ago, where he was sort of talking about creating this almost like personal hype reel or sort of video resume and of, of sort of your experience. So 
um, I think for for people that are looking at it now, um, I think that's a big that's a big opportunity. Um, and then I think the other one is is sort of really around you know continuing to build that network and nurture that network. Yeah, you know, I've been I've been really lucky with sort of the opportunities I've got, um, but there's also been a few that I missed out on along the way because I didn't leverage a network that I had. Um, I think probably the biggest example for me was there was a job which you know, was a little while ago now uh, but it was what I thought was the dream job for me at the time um, and a job which I thought I was the perfect candidate for like still looking back on it now I am you know 99% sure that I was 100% should have got an interview and, and I reckon I would have been up there with the you know number one or two candidate and I thought I didn't know the the manager but I knew he was a friend of a friend so I thought look um, I should reach out to him you know, reach out to my mate and, and sort of put me in contact. And at least then they know that I'm, you know, that I'm serious. I thought, oh, look, I'll do that after I get an interview um, or I can use that in the interview. Didn't get an interview. Um, mm. And I sort of leave that rejection email. Um, I just leave that in my inbox, my personal inbox now. It's just a reminder of, okay, just like looking back on that, you know, again, as I said, it was a little while ago now, um, a few years, but I can look back at that and go, you know what, you missed out. You missed the opportunity there. Don't let that happen. Don't let it happen again. So, um, yeah, don't be afraid to use those networks. You're making the networks, um, and I know that's what the podcast and, and sports grads are all about, so make sure you leverage them. I love that. It's like your own little a permanent bit of inspiration slash motivation, you know, like yeah. whatever, you, whatever you need to do to sort of remind yourself to to keep pushing on and, and doing all the right things. Like I love that, whether it's on your wall or if it's in your inbox, I think it plays the same role. So um, that's fantastic. Jace, mate, it's been um, it's been really good chatting, and I can't say I've ever done a, a pod this long solo. So I think we we've, we did a pretty good job, hey? Uh, but we got there. Um, we we got there, but um, no, it's been really good hearing just about your journey. I think, as I said at the top, like your resume is outstanding. Like just looking at all those different organisations, um, your experience is, is you know something that people would would be really really. I guess, jealous of and, and just kind of look at that as, as a bit of inspiration for themselves. So really appreciate, appreciate you coming in and just talking about some of those experiences and how you've got to where you've got to and good luck for this sort of golden golden decade, we're calling it. It's the biggest buzzword in sport at the minute, yep. but um, good luck for the next sort of six years and um, the World Cup's coming up. They're, they're going to be big. So uh, thanks again, mate. Cheers, Ryan. Had a lot of fun, mate. Really enjoyed it. Guys, it's time now for the people's segment of the podcast, Ask Sports Grad, where every week we answer a question directly from our community. If you like to ask us a question, first you've got to become a Sports Grad member. Head to our website right now, sportsgrad.com.au slash community to join our next intake waitlist. Rubes, this one comes from Claudia and she says, I get a little bit nervous for job interviews really easily. How can I get myself comfortable? Great question. And uh, I've definitely been in this position where you're going for a job interview, you really, really want it, you put a lot of pressure on yourself, and uh, sometimes the pressure gets too much for you. To try and overcome this, I'd say there's probably two parts to it. One of it is doing proper preparation, and the other one is getting your mindset right. So, Claudia, I'm not too sure how far in advance your interview is, but you should ideally be preparing for interviews pretty much all the time. If you're documenting your work on a regular basis, you are constantly preparing for an interview because that's how you're gonna speak about it. But if you've got an interview in a week's time, I would spend every single day writing down 
potential answers or writing down stories about your experience and then spending more time talking to your friends about that. Literally call up your friend, call up your mum, your dad, and just say, hey, can you ask me a few questions about what I've done in my recent internship or in my recent job? And that gives you a chance just to talk about your experience. So the more that you can write down your answers and practice speaking them to anybody in any format, the more comfortable you'll get. So proper preparation always helps with confidence because then you feel like you you know what you're gonna say on the day. The other part is your mindset. And Claudia, if you're like me, sometimes you can put a lot of pressure on one particular event in one particular point in time. So to try and overcome this, you really have to zoom out and look at the bigger picture. There will be other job opportunities that come up. You do have a lot of time to grow your career. Your entire life does not hinge on this one particular job interview. If it goes wrong, that's okay. In fact, if it goes wrong, you're gonna get some amazing feedback and some amazing experience that'll take you further than you probably could have gone before. So look at it as an amazing opportunity to one, have a crack at that dream job that you thought maybe you weren't ready for, or two, get some interview experience for the next role that comes up. Because either way, you either get the job or you learn. And both of them are amazing outcomes for you. So if you can zoom out and try and switch your perspective to what an opportunity you've got in front of you and how it's gonna benefit you going forward, then hopefully that can help you keep you calm in the moment. Great question, Claudia. Practice, practice, practice. Repetition, repetition, repetition. That's all it is. That's what gives you confidence. Great stuff. Well, if you'd like to ask us a question or ask our friends in sport a question, sign up and become a SportsGrad member in our next intake. Just head to our website, sportsgrad.com.au slash community to join our next waitlist where you can find everything that you need to get a job in sport inside the SportsGrad community. Each fortnight, we jump on the speed networking events, masterclasses, job fairs, everything that you need to get in. You get access to over 50 hours of content on our SportsGrad member-only resource hub. So join today. In the meantime, find us on LinkedIn. Give us some love with a rating if you enjoy the show. Subscribe on Apple or follow us on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey, guys, one last thing before you go. If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings, networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the SportsGrad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join.